Dr. Isaac Stiles, zero. The Brent Community Healthcare System presents Hospital Insider, the podcast. Your host is Gary Chalk, the retired director of public affairs for the Brandt Community Healthcare System, a newspaper columnist, and former radio broadcaster. The podcast features conversations with members of the medical staff, the caregivers, volunteers, the leadership team, and donors of the Brantford General Hospital and the Willett Hospital in Paris. Listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, will inform and educate you about hospital care. So please share this podcast with your family and friends and encourage them to subscribe as well. Remember, if it has to do with hospital care in Brantford, Paris, and throughout Brant County, we will talk about it on Hospital Insider, the podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Hospital Insider, the podcast. I'm Gary Chalk. This is episode number 12. It's a very important episode. We're talking about COVID-19, the pandemic that's swept the world, and specifically what is being done to keep everyone in the Brantford and Paris and Brant County area safe and healthy from the uh, Brant Community Healthcare perspective. A couple of housekeeping details. The information you're about to hear from our expert guests, it's as of today, Monday, March the 30th, the day that we are recording this podcast. So things can change. And for this episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast, we're practicing physical distancing ourselves. All the guests are in their offices. They're using their phones as we're all spliced into the recording studio. Even Brandon, our, our producer, is working from home where he's set up his equipment. So perhaps the quality won't be up to the usual great standards we have, but I'm sure we'll do fine. And one other word of encouragement before we begin is uh, we think it's important that you tell your family members, your friends, neighbors, coworkers, everybody you know, tell them about this episode of the podcast and share the link with them. Uh, probably the easiest way is just have them Google Hospital Insider Podcast. It's available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the traditional channels. But as again, it's probably easiest just tell them to Google Hospital Insider the podcast. In the four months or so we've been doing the podcast, we've gained listeners across Canada through many of the states, from Florida to the Carolinas, out to Arizona, California, and also throughout many of the islands in the Caribbean, over to the United Kingdom, many of the uh, the countries on the continent as well, even down to Australia. So it shows people are traveling, they're taking the podcast with them, and that's the beauty of doing a podcast. You can listen to it whenever and wherever you may be. Hopefully these people are all back to Brantford in our area now and about to hear from our, our guests. We have four experts from the Brant Community Healthcare System. Dr. Tom Sackach, the infectious disease specialist. Dr. Andrea Unger, COVID-19 lead physician and chief of emergency medicine. Also Dr. Rudy Gohl, COVID-19 medical resources lead and the chief of the hospitalist program. And our first guest, Dr. David McNeil, president and CEO of the Brant Community Healthcare System. David, how are you hanging in there these days? I'm very well, Gary. That's good. As the president and the CEO of the Brantford General and the Will of Hospitals, but you're also a registered nurse. This probably gives you a pretty good, uh, a unique perspective, perhaps, from the front line right through to the uh, to the boardroom of how to go about managing this pandemic we're we're in. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know having a strong clinical background and knowing that um, at the patient care interface, that's really where the the care and the work of the organization occurs, and and having that perspective is very helpful as you start to make decisions um, at much more of a corporate or system level. Uh, in terms of how we respond uh, to this current uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic um, that's, you know, really gripped the world. 
certainly has. And it's important to know David isn't working on his own. He has a great group of uh, team members who are around that emergency response team. What are the type of positions that are reflected on that membership of the team, and what happens around the table? Yeah, so when we're looking at planning the response, we meet daily, of course, and several groups meet daily. Uh, we start the day at 8 o'clock every morning, and we have all of our medical leaders, our chiefs, um, meeting with the executive team and the directors and support directors where we have a conversation around uh, the key issues that uh, may have happened within the last 24 hours, resolve some of our of our planning issues, um, and have a strategy to move forward uh, for the day um, to ensure that uh, we're ready, um, that uh, we're keeping our staff safe and our physicians safe and, and the public safe. Uh, that may enter uh, the facility, uh, and to ensure that we have a good response plan that's going to meet the needs of the community. Let's talk a little bit about the ongoing interaction you also have with, with other community partners, the City of Brantford, the County of Brantford, the Brant County Health Unit, right through to the, the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care. I'm, I'm sure that you're working closely and cooperatively with them. Yes, yeah, so the overall response structure is start, of course, with the, the provincial uh, government um, daily and regularly, the provincial government through the Ministry of Health, Public Health, um, um, and Ontario Health. Uh, meet uh, to uh, coordinate the response at the provincial level. Um, each one of the um, the province has been broken up into sort of five main regions. Of course, the uh, Brant Community Healthcare System is within the southwest region, so there's an overall response structure and oversight for the response within the southwest region, which includes a number of the former LINs. And more, more, more locally, I participate with the hospitals, uh, CEOs, uh, and executives in, in, in the former H&HB Lynn um, um, to ensure that our response is coordinated. Locally, uh, the Brandt Community Healthcare System is a member of the Emergency Operations Centre that's really um, the consolidation of the uh, Brantford uh, County and Brantford, uh, uh, City of Brantford emergency response. And we also have on, on that committee the Brantford Police, the Ontario Provincial Police, representatives from Six Nations, the Catholic District School Board, and the Grand Erie uh, District School Board, as well as paramedic services. So that group is really responsible for coordinating the uh, overall community response. As we record this episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast, our guest is Dr. David McNeil, President and CEO of the Brain Community Healthcare System. Leading into this week, and again, this is Monday, March 30th, much of the national discussion has been about flattening the curve. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it means specifically to our area, David? Well, so I think a lot of the stuff that you're hearing in the in the media around flattening the curve is really designed to ensure that we reduce the demands within the disease, of course, within the community and um, and not have spikes of disease within any particular community or clusters of disease within any community. So the social distancing measures that we've put in place are essential to ensure that we're not transmitting the disease amongst ourselves or it's not being transmitted in the population. And if that, you know, if we can do a good job at preventing that, then we should be able to really prevent the health system from becoming overwhelmed, um, which is really what we're trying to do in terms of flattening the curve. Over the past month or so, I know that uh, the entire organization has probably pivoted from being known as an acute care hospital, which is still obviously uh, what 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 the Brantford General does, but trying to be able to prepare to care for perhaps a, a surge of COVID-19 patients. 
I know that uh, you've built 14 negative pressure rooms, and I thought we'd talk to Dr. Gould about that. But can you talk about some of the other changes that uh, you've made as we're preparing to go into what is now a critical week of this uh, pandemic? So we initially started with uh, downsizing the operations, our current operations, by reducing uh, surgeries within the organization, uh, focusing on only emergent surgeries and those that require our urgent surgeries, um, things like cancer care. But generally, our surgical operations for scheduled care is shut down. And the same thing with many of our ambulatory clinics. We've moved those clinics to provide only essential services, those services that, that we can't wait. And similarly with diagnostic um, services as well. We're only doing emergent or urgent uh, types of diagnostic therapy. We've created space within the hospital to manage um, patients that uh, may be uh, coming into the hospital with either suspected or confirmed diagnosis of COVID-19 um, and ensured that we you know, have the scaled up ability in our critical care unit as well. So yeah, we've re- redesigned or retooled the hospital in, uh, in a very different way over the last couple of weeks. Particularly for your um, discussions of supplies, medicines, beds, ventilators, what's the current uh, situation locally? Well, I mean, locally in terms of the of the supplies, of course, I think it's like like every other hospital in the province. We're carefully uh, managing our personal protective equipment for our uh, frontline providers and ensuring that they have access to that per- personal protective equipment by implementing conservation strategies so that it's there for the long term. Um, we're also looking at um, how do we acquire the equipment and the beds and the spaces, and some of that will be driven through our local planning efforts, but more importantly through a regional in connection with the provincial planning efforts. So we're working within a system of care. Uh, while we have local response plans, those local response plans are connected to a broader strategy across our region and province. People locally have heard that a COVID-19 patient assessment center has been opened, which is at the Brantford District Civic Center. It's uh, it's it's operated, staffed by uh, by by your your staff. Uh, why are you doing it off-site? Who should go? Explain what happens when when somebody goes to that uh, assessment center. Yeah. So anybody that um, feels that they might have been in contact, has a travel history, um, is concerned. Um, we always encourage people to do to go through a, a bit of a process. The first step in that process is um, to do the online self-assessment. Um, if you know, go through that online self-assessment. If you know there's an indication that you should probably talk to your healthcare professional, contact your primary care provider, um, or contact Telehealth Ontario. Again, if you fail that, or if your primary care provider or telehealth feels that you need to call the assessment center, then we encourage people to call the assessment center hotline and schedule an appointment. The the reason for the assessment center um, is to ensure that we're identifying people that have the disease um, and then be able to do the contact tracing. We do know now that there is probably community spread. It's pretty clear based on what we're seeing across uh, the province. Hospitals obviously have to put a lot of emphasis on an ongoing basis with regards to cleaning. The environmental service aides, the employee group that's responsible to to keep the Brantford General and the Willet clean, they're obviously stepping up and doing terribly important work at this time, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's all hands on deck and everybody plays an essential role and particularly in this case, you know, our environmental services staff um, play a critical role in ensuring that the organization is cleaned, um, cleaned appropriately, 
um, and that we have put all those infection control measures in place so that people within the organization are safe and patients coming into the organization are safe as well. And when we talk about the organization and the staff, so people have an idea, there are over 1,400 employees. The largest employee group is the nursing function. I think environmental service aides are, are number, number two as far as the, the numbers are there. But you must be proud of the work that everybody is doing. Everybody in the organization has really stepped up to the plate. This has been a team effort. Um, everybody has participated. People are actively answering, asking questions. Um, and everybody, I think, is well at times nervous, um, and that's completely understandable. Um, they're stepping up to the plate and uh, being very positive in their in their approach to uh, how we're managing this current situation. David, I know your time is precious. I just wanted to uh, emphasize here that I heard earlier today hospital occupancy on Monday, March 30th today is at 78%. When I joined the hospital in 1995, I don't think I've ever heard of it being that low. So that shows a level of uh, preparedness and thoroughness that the organization has in approaching this, this pandemic. Absolutely. So we are ready to receive uh, patients. Um, and again, this speaks to flattening the curve. If we're all doing what we need to do within the community, we have the capacity within the organization to manage the um, demand for COVID-19 uh, patients. So I think it's we're all waiting to see um, how effective um, our social distancing strategies have been, uh, but the Brand Community Healthcare System is prepared to um, accept COVID-19 patients. And it's great to see how the community has stepped up. I, I read the other day that uh, staff from Onondaga Brant School, they donated almost 100 Tim Hortons gift cards for staff. Lots of acts of kindness coming from outside the community, recognizing the, the heroes that are, are doing their work at the hospitals. Yeah, and I think that that appreciation of our frontline providers, our physicians and our staff is greatly appreciated. And that really is, a, you know, keeps people encouraged um, as they deal with this uh, stressful situation in their work lives. David, thanks for your time. I know that you have a busy day and busy times in front of you, but we appreciate all that you are and are doing and that of the staff and the physicians and the volunteers who, uh, unfortunately, this time are not at the hospital. They're practicing their social and physical distancing, but we appreciate all the efforts on behalf of everybody in our community. Thank you. Thank you. Our second guest on episode number 12 of Hospital Insider, the podcast, is, is in fact the first guest of our very first segment when we launched some four months ago, Dr. Tom Sakach, an infectious disease specialist. Tom, first question, how are you doing these days? Well, we're, uh, we're trying to put up a, a good fight to get ready for what might be coming our way. Uh, I'm doing fine. I think the organization has actually done a phenomenal job in getting ready, so we're I wouldn't say we were excited, but I think we've put in a lot of work to get to a point that I think we're uh, in a good position to face what's coming. We're reminding the listeners of this podcast that it's being recorded on on March the 30th. So depending upon when listeners may be tuning in, information may be changed. But uh, when we talk about COVID-19, Tom, I think most people know about the, the symptoms and how it's being diagnosed and treatments, et cetera. One question is, how do people know that they're clear? And I'm thinking particularly those who are self-isolating at home. Have they been identified as having COVID-19 or are they assumed to have had it 
and then they're 14 days later, do they go through an official process to be officially uh, cleared? It, it, that's a terrific question, and it's terrifically complicated. So the in somebody who is found to actually be positive, then we have very clear algorithms on how to um, repeat testing in, for example, hospitalized patients uh, before we would discontinue some of the uh, isolation procedures that we use. Uh, in most of the outpatients, uh, fortunately, the studies would say that if somebody is positive, then typically if their symptoms are milder, and they would tend to be if they were outpatients, usually within about 10 days, they stop shedding the virus. And so people generously say about 14 days after the symptoms start, then you should uh, be able to discontinue the, the isolation. And so that's where a lot of the guidelines come around. 14 days if somebody has symptoms, then from that point onward, so long as your symptoms actually settle, then uh, by that end of that 14-day period, then generally you should be negative. So for most outpatients, we don't need to test to be uh, to see that it's negative. We do that just really in hospitalized patients so that we can discontinue some of the isolation procedures safely. I think what most people understand when they, they know the definition of being symptomatic Explain asymptomatic. Well, in many different infections, it's not unique to COVID. Uh, there is a wide spectrum of disease that people can have. Some people will have very severe symptoms, so for example, the flu or various other respiratory viruses. And in uh, some people, they have milder symptoms. And then there are some who they have the virus, it's replicating, it can actually uh, potentially be transmitted, but the person themselves is completely unaware of actually having the virus. And so this is this asymptomatic state that uh, is being described uh, in this particular situation. It makes things a little more difficult because, of course, you can get transmissions without people knowing it, but it's not unique to this particular virus. It does happen with a variety of other ones as well. So when patients are self-isolating at home through that 14-day period, can you sort of give us some guidelines of what the expectation is, separation from other families, continuation of uh, medications, can they go outside, things of that nature? Oh, sure. So absolutely people um, can go for a walk out in fresh air. That's not an issue. Uh, you, you really wouldn't want to be going into public spaces. So again, if you're somebody who's symptomatic, you would you would try to uh, distance yourself from people, uh, We ideally in your own home. So one might consider sleeping in a different bedroom or using a different washroom. Uh, the use of masks can be very effective as well. So if people are, have very you know, significant space constrictions and they really can't do that effectively, then wearing a mask and washing your hands very carefully. Um, you can also, of course, be careful with some of your clothing and just launder that in hot water and uh, just take care if somebody else is actually doing uh, your laundry, then uh, they would just want to wash their hands very carefully as well. But certainly, it's still a good idea to go out and get exercise. Um, of course, you would continue your regular medications unless you were advised otherwise by a physician. One of the only things that I would like to point out for some of the listeners, though, is that uh, some of the early studies would say we should try to potentially avoid taking things like Advil or ibuprofen. Uh, it, it potentially could make things worse. So if you do have fevers, you'd want to just stick with Tylenol, not uh, not take some of those other uh, anti-inflammatory drugs. 
I was part of a, a Zoom call last evening, a group of friends. We were socializing on, on that technology, that platform, and the discussion came up. All of us have been practicing physical distancing. We haven't uh, been out in large crowds, and someone made the comment, well, since we all think that we have done well staying away from others, couldn't this group of six couples all get together? I think I know the answer, but what, what would you recommend? Well, I, I think it's easier said than done. So if, if you choose to go out for a walk with a neighbor uh, and you're keeping distance, that's, that's fine. It becomes increasingly complex for a large group of people to actually maintain that kind of separation. And, of course, people are constantly touching their faces without knowing it, and so you could end up touching shared surfaces. So you might be keeping a distance, but you're all going in and out of a house, and you're all handling the same doorknob, and so you can end up having these inadvertent transmissions that um, you just didn't know. So if somebody in the group is one of these uh, asymptomatic people who happens to shed the virus, um, there, there's the potential there for um, for transmission. So. Ideally, you'd want to limit the size of groups that you're in, and if we can all do that effectively for a sustained period, then the, the hope is to significantly lessen the impact of this epidemic. Tom, we're out in our car driving to get the groceries once a week. Uh, we stop in, perhaps uh, pick up our mail. How much of uh, hand cleaning should we be doing? Through? Should we clean our hands after we leave the, the grocery store, when we pick up our mail, when we uh, clean off the, the steering wheel after? Or what's your, your suggestion there? Yeah, it, it's a difficult question because everybody's going to have their own um, approach to this. I, I certainly think uh, when you have an interaction with the outside environment, uh, and I don't mean nature, but um, if you're picking up groceries, you're touching uh, grocery carts, you're at the gas station, then ideally, yes, you would either wear gloves and dispose of them, or you would um, sanitize your hands so that, again, you're coming back and not uh, contaminating your own environment at home again. Um, or, of course, you touch something and then, again, you inadvertently touch your face. So you want to wash your hands a lot more than you might have in the past. With the warm weather, hopefully coming soon with spring, do you think this is going to help kill off the virus? That's certainly the hope. And this is a new virus, and they all behave differently. If it behaves like other respiratory viruses or other coronaviruses, which uh, there are other coronaviruses that affect humans and cause just the common cold, then, then yes, uh, warmer weather does tend to have uh, an effect on this in our particular climate. In tropical climates, these viruses can circulate year-round, but in ours, in, in temperate zones, we do tend to see a decrease. Uh, that was the case with SARS. So by uh, late June, early July, there were no more cases. And so I think for a lot of reasons, we should be hoping for sunshine and warm weather. What's the uh, status of potentially the vaccine anytime in the near future? It takes a long time to develop a vaccine that's effective. We were, it was different with H1N1 because we already had a platform for making vaccines and we just had to substitute in a, a slightly different virus. There, there isn't a pre-existing coronavirus vaccine. People have worked on it, but there are some viruses that are just very difficult to make a vaccine to. You can imagine the, the common cold by rhinovirus. Uh, we don't have a vaccine for that. And some viruses are just particularly elusive in, in making a vaccine. And so at, at this point, there's a lot of work going on around this. Uh, but uh, for reasons that I, I'm not a, a immunologist uh, or vaccinologist, I don't expect that we're going to see one uh, in the coming months. It might be uh, sometime down the road. Tom, as an infectious disease specialist, you've been working hard over the past number of weeks preparing and uh, trying to anticipate and implement plans for uh, 
um, handling the pandemic at uh, Branford General and in the Willow. But when you go home, you've got a wife and young kids. I'm sure you're practicing what you preach. I absolutely am. I actually have uh, tried to distance myself from uh, my own family, uh, which is uh, quite difficult, but I, I sleep in a different bedroom. And uh, I do change my clothes when I come home, and I'm very careful to wash my hands because uh, for those who are fortunate uh, enough to be able to stay at home or work from home, um, it's, uh, they, they should have very little chance of acquiring the virus so long as others around them who do have to go to work are particularly careful. And so that's what I'm trying to do with my own family. Great speaking with you, Tom. Thanks for taking all the time. Good luck going forward. Dr. Tom Sackatch, the Infectious Disease Specialist with the Brant Community Healthcare System. Thank you. Thank you kindly. Continuing on on Hospital Insider, the podcast, the guest as we continue with our topic, COVID-19, is Dr. Andrea Unger. Andrea is the, the Chief of Emergency Medicine. She actually appeared in one of our earlier episodes of our podcast. But these days, she also has a very, a very important role as the COVID-19 physician lead. Good morning, Andrea. How are you doing these days? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Gary. And we want to remind listeners once again, the information that they're hearing in the podcast is all relevant. It's current to the day that we're recording, which is Monday, March 30th. Um, Dr. Unger, describe your role now as physician lead for COVID-19 at the Brant Community Healthcare System. Well, I think the uh, Brant Community Healthcare System has been very proactive in assigning physician leads to this crisis that we're anticipating, um, knowing that so many things have to change within the hospital. They've assigned me uh, more than just as my role as the ER chief, but to encompass uh, a larger part of the flow of COVID patients. Um, so my job as COVID lead is to liaise with the incoming patients, which includes uh, working with EMS, working with EMS from Six Nations, um, working with uh, public health and the other agencies in the community, how people will be coming to the ER, then once COVID patients um, and people who are concerned about that are seen in the ER, and then establishing all of the protocols for how we can safely discharge people home, how we can safely observe and support them in the community, and who needs to come in, either to the ward floor or uh, even the ICU. So those are, are the things that I'm working on um, specifically. When it comes to a pandemic, I guess you can you never be prepared enough, but the anticipated or perhaps the surge that could come later this week uh, to, um, throughout, throughout this area of, of the country, how ready are you? We are very ready. Uh, we have really benefited from being able to use the international experience to observe what has worked and what has not worked. Uh, globally, we've also learned from what has worked so successfully in British Columbia. So within our own country, seeing how the Canadian public health system was able to work with the hospitals to uh, flatten that curve. And I have confidence in the community in Brantford that they have been able to do just that. So with the flattening, it means that patients will come to us in a slower Low, so we'll be able to manage them in our existing ER and our existing healthcare um, system with the ward flow and the ICU. What we have done to maximize, even, even though we know that we will have people coming in slower um, than, say, what happened initially in Italy or what happened initially in other places that weren't prepared as well, um, we've also created two separate ER places 
for people to come. So opening later this week, we will have a D-Wing entrance as well as our regular ER entrance so that people knowing that they have fever or cough or symptoms of COVID can actually separate into a, a completely uh, special place for them, which we are preparing and ready for at this point. Um, other patients still need to come to the ER. We're still going to have all of our regular visits for broken bones and appendicitis, and those people need to feel that they are safe as well and that the physicians looking after them um, are not being pulled away to look after the other pandemic patients. We really have a responsibility to both, and that's what we've created. I'm glad you brought up that point, Dr. Unger, because there's been so much talk about the uh, the COVID-19 uh, patients or those who believe they, they, they may may have the symptoms, but other people have to realize and have that confidence and know that when it's their turn, they need to come to the emergency room that they're going to be accommodated. Absolutely, and that's why I've worked so closely with the other services in the hospital to make sure that pediatric patients still can access the pediatrician, to make sure that if there's emergency surgery, that still has to happen, to make sure that people coming with chest pain um, needing to be transferred for angiograms. All of these processes can still exist amongst us looking after all of our COVID patients. You must be impressed with the uh, cooperation, the uh, staff, the physicians, everyone, not only through the emergency department and the urgent care of the Willard, but, but also the entire Brant community healthcare system. I have been absolutely amazed with how people have stepped forward. It is from the physicians who are willing to put in extra work, reading the literature, putting together information for us to do better care, to the nurses who are... Um, promoting confidence and being fearless and showing compassion to everyone that comes, the floor cleaners who have to step up and clean the surfaces better and are bravely doing that. And then we see the community support that is incredible. Uh, some of my physicians have kids in their neighborhood drawing chalk drawings outside of their house, mm. saying superhero. Um, people are commenting to nurses on their social media, their great support, and they're saying that their actions of social distancing is the way that they can support healthcare workers right now, and we appreciate it tremendously. Nice to hear good things in a, a time of, of uncertainty. Uh, Dr. Unger, the COVID-19 physician lead and chief of emergency medicine of the Brank Community Healthcare System, thank you very much for your everything that you're doing on behalf of the entire community and also taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. You're listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast. This is episode number 12, a very special episode talking about COVID-19 and specifically the readiness and the plans, all that's being done by the Brant Community Healthcare System for everyone in our immediate area. Our next local expert is Dr. Rudy Vole. He is the medical resource and inpatient COVID-19 lead. He's also the chief of hospital-based care. And he also appeared on an earlier episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast. Rudy, how are you this morning? I'm doing very well, Gary. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And I should mention, we bumped into each other yesterday afternoon at the gas station. I'm, right. assuming, I'm assuming you were on your way to the hospital as I was uh, trying to go home and clean up and continue self-isolation. <laughs> that's right. I sure was. <laughs> the information will remind everybody that's listening, it's, it's valid as of this day that we're recording the podcast on, on Monday, March the 30th. Can you explain your role as COVID-19 medical resources lead? Absolutely. So essentially, you know, as the BCHS medicine lead for COVID-19, I am responsible for continuing the great work that Dr. Unger and her team are doing in the emergency department. 
and coordinating our response for any patients who have COVID-19 and require admission to hospital. So this includes streamlining and standardizing our admission processes, uh, trying to incorporate the best evidence for care of patients who require uh, admission, um, and this evidence is changing every day. It also includes preparing our medical units for potential surge in volumes, which we have seen happen elsewhere. It includes opening new units, preparing new beds to accommodate potentially significant volumes of patients, working closely with our colleagues in critical care, Drs. Wang and Ajayi, as well as Dr. Medina, in ensuring that we have adequate ICU beds, ventilators, and other critical care resources. Uh, and then it also involves preparing our rehab space for patients with COVID-19 who may require uh, rehab after the acute phase of their illness, uh, as well as streamlining our processes for discharge planning in the context of this pandemic to ensure that we are uh, that we're able to flow patients back into the community after they are uh, after they are well uh, and past their um, acute phase of their admission. Dr. Goal, can you explain as a hospitalist and as a, a patient who uh, may now be admitted to the hospital with uh, particularly COVID-19, the interaction that you will have with that patient's doctor, their family physician, or any other specialist, they may, may be uh, in their, their care plans? Yeah, so as hospitalists, we essentially become uh, every patient's family physician in the hospital. So we are responsible for all their care from admission straight through to discharge. And we liaise with the patient's family physicians in the form of dictated reports that are sent uh, to their offices. Uh, and, and those are things like blood work, imaging reports, uh, admission summaries, discharge summaries, consultation notes. These will all continue to happen as patients are admitted with COVID-19. Their family physicians will be kept informed throughout the admission process. They'll have all the up-to-date information. And then once the patients are ready for discharge home, those discharge summaries will continue to be sent over to the family doctors so that the family doctors uh, are aware that their patients have been admitted, they are now well, they are being discharged, and these are the important things that need to be followed up on after the patients uh, go home. And how many physicians are, are in this role as hospitalists with you? So our group is around 25 to 30 physicians. We staff Doc, excuse me, we staff 10 hospitalists every day, and we are going to continue to staff 10 hospitalists every day during this pandemic. We do have some backup built into our scheduling now because we know that uh, there is a risk of, of some physicians getting sick. You know, that's something we are really hoping will not happen, but uh, we have, of course, seen it happen elsewhere, and we just need to be prepared for it. So we have some flexibility built into our schedule, uh, but we are staffing for for 10 hospitalists and they will look after patients who uh, have COVID-19 uh, and then we also want to make sure that we are providing high quality care for patients who uh, are admitted but don't have COVID-19 so uh, we're, we're looking to maintain that we have adequate staffing for that. At the beginning of the podcast, Dr. McNeil, President and CEO, uh, talked about we've pivoted the organization and many changes have been made in the past four weeks preparing for this potential surge. Uh, understand there's about 14 negative pressure rooms, including an operating room that have been built. What is, first of all, a negative pressure room and what's its importance? So the purpose of a negative pressure room is it allows the frontline care teams to carry out procedures that can 
that would otherwise not be able to uh, be carried out. And the reason for that is we know that coronavirus, which is the virus that causes COVID-19, the way it spreads when we do certain procedures like intubation or extubation or CPR, uh, it spreads through aerosols. Uh, any procedure that will generate aerosols cannot be done in a regular hospital room because there would be a risk of spreading the virus to the people who are carrying out that procedure. When you put a patient into a negative pressure room that essentially controls the spread of that virus uh, and provided that all the care team providers are wearing the appropriate protective equipment and it allows the care team to do those procedures that may become necessary. So by building these negative pressure rooms, which is a, a fantastic uh, fantastic step on, uh, on the part of the organization, uh, we have provided the space for the frontline teams to provide that care for patients who have COVID-19. Uh, and I think it really gives us all a lot of confidence that we will be able to provide the care for the patients who need it uh, when they need it um, on, a, on an urgent uh, or emergent basis. Rudy, as I've been listening to all the other experts we've had on the podcast uh, on this episode, I, I get a real sense of team. You must be incredibly pleased with what's been uh, the reaction and how people have stepped up. Oh, absolutely, Gary. I've been, it's just been incredible to see how people have come together, uh, the physicians, the nurses, the, uh, the therapists, the uh, environmental service uh, workers in the hospital, uh, really every team member in our hospital plays a critical role in patient care. And I've just been blown away with how people have come together to take on this challenge. Um, you know, so many People in this hospital are, are, are making sacrifices to, to work here to provide care for the patients. Uh, they're worried about their own health. They're worried about the health of their families. Some of them are moving out of their homes so that they can come into work. Uh, and I think it's just incredible to see how much dedication there is on the part of our teams for our patients and for our community. It's, it's really incredible to see. Dr. Rudy Goal, Medical Resources and Inpatient COVID-19 Lead, Chief of the Hospitals Based Care at the Bryant Community Healthcare System. Thank you. Good luck going forward. And we really appreciate all that uh, you and everyone at the organization is doing to help keep us in our local community safe. Thanks, Dr. Goal. Thank you so much, Gary. As we conclude another episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast, I want to, to uh, thank our guests, Dr. David McNeil, the president and CEO of the Brant Community Healthcare System, Dr. Tom Sackass, an infectious disease specialist, Dr. Andrea Unger from the emergency department and a COVID-19 physician lead, and Dr. Rudy Goal, who uh, heads up the hospital-based care program and also another physician resources lead. It's been a pleasure having these people take their, their time out of an incredibly busy time for the entire organization and in fact healthcare around the world. It's uh, been a pleasure to have them take the time and spend it with us today. And a reminder that this episode is being recorded on Monday, March the 30th, so the information that uh, you're hearing is relevant as of this day, and I'm sure that uh, going forward, as one of the physicians said, the, the information is changing quickly and things will change. So what you should do is keep in touch with the local, reliable sources, such as websites for the Bryant Community Healthcare System, for the Ontario Ministry of Health, for Canada, and any other organizations that you think are appropriate and reliable to, uh, to receive your information on COVID-19 pandemic. I want to thank our guests and also Brandon, the producer. We've all been working from home, so we make sure that uh, we're practicing some social distancing. And as I said, the information is available on the uh, podcast. Please share this link 
with your friends, your neighbors. It's very important information. And perhaps just tell them if they Google Hospital Insider Podcast, it will lead them to all the platforms where the uh, podcast is available. So on behalf of everyone, thank you, everyone. We will see you soon on another two weeks with another edition of Hospital Insider, the podcast. I'm Gary Chalk. Stay well so you can do good. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Hospital Insider, the podcast, a presentation of the Brandt Community Healthcare System. Hospital Insider, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting forum. Please press subscribe and you will always be up to date with Hospital Insider, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please pass it along to your friends. Encourage them to subscribe as well. It's appreciated. In two weeks, we'll return with a new episode of Hospital Insider, the podcast with Gary Chalk. Thank you for listening. I'm Sandy Bishop.